1: We're listening to Wood Talk Online, a podcast for woodworkers by woodworkers. Now, here are your hosts, Mark Spagnolo and Matt Vanderlust, and maybe somebody else.
3: Welcome to Wood Talk Online, episode 29 for February 18th, 2008. I'm Mark Spagnolo.
4: And I'm Matt Vanderlust. And you know what? If you have any questions comments or some feedback maybe something you heard from today maybe something you heard before you can always get a hold of mark and i over at woodtalkonline at gmail.com or you know what you can pick up on your uh, phone and leave us a voicemail message just like some of the people are going to do today some of you done in the past some of you will do in the future so i'm trying to cover everybody here <laughs> you know what, just leave us a message at 623-242-2450 and i've of course, we will make sure to have all this information uh in the show notes mm-hmm. so that you can get a hold of us one way or the other. <sighs> Mark, what's going on, buddy? Woo, you know what? We are the worst. We tried.
3: We tried so hard to get a show up faster than normal, and we had the intention of
4: recording another one right away. And and what is our
3: problem? We couldn't get our, our crap together
4: <laughs> until it's the it's the gremlins in the shop. It is we are you know victims of circumstance every
3: single time. <laughs> yeah, I mean we we had the best intentions, people, and we really wanted to be you know more regular. We we have another little surprise today as far as what we're uh, going to try and record multiple times just to make sure we have more content more frequently. And, and it and it's hard, um, you know. But I guess we just we're just busy dudes, you know.
4: Yeah, and it, well, the funny thing is it seemed like we had to easily, just to let everybody know, we, we had a couple of dates set up, like a backup date, like, we okay, just can't do this today, we're going to do it the next time. <laughs> right. And we both, like, at the last minute, dude, i got to cancel it. I'm so sorry. Can't do it, can't do
3: it, can't do it. But you know what? We we do it as frequently as possible, and it's, that's, that's what counts. We get an A for effort.
4: That's right, absolutely. Even if it is us giving the A's to each other, but it's still. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah, actually, yeah. Um, uh, I think the... Um, The only major thing going on right now, I'm trying to get this table done. That's one big thing. I'll talk a little bit about that later. Um, But spur of the moment, sort of last minute thing, I get a call from the local, um, excuse me, the president of the local uh, woodworking association here in Arizona, Mm -hmm. and he wasn't just calling to say hi. Uh, They had a cancellation uh, from one of the judges at the Excellence in Woodworking uh, wood show that they have here every year. And they needed someone to fill in, and uh, oh, wow. they figured they'd call their local wood whisperer and see if he was busy, and uh, it was it was really, really fun. So on Friday, we uh, Nicole and I went down to Mesa and went to take a look at all the entrants into the contest, and it, it was a blast. Well, I,
4: I've never done that before, and it was one of the coolest experiences I've had in a long time sweet now did you have any potential bribes like did they find out early on and were like you know contacting the website you know sending extra donations (laughs) yes exactly you know like uh (laughs) exhibition item number three uh if that one wins there's something special in it for you (laughs) no unfortunately not but that may have helped
3: you know you never know (laughs) i am not above being bribed that's for sure
4: that um, <laughs> so that will be on my tombstone. This guy was, you know, easily paid and swayed in so many ways. <laughs> right. Yeah, they they
3: they actually uh were it was really cool. There was a huge display because they combined this show with the uh the the Carvers organization and the Carvers. I mean, whew, that that's a big club. They've they had easily uh, three times the amount of real estate that the uh woodworking association's uh area was. So I was I was pretty impressed with that, but um, the variety of of projects there was was really good, you know. And, and it's not a we don't have a huge club here, so of course some of the um, some of the classifications, you know, when you have different categories that people are building within, and then different skill categories within that, you know, sometimes there's only one person in the novice, um, you know, of this particular category. So you have, you know, they automatically get a ribbon, you know, just because by default they're the only one there. Uh, we don't, congratulations. You showed
4: up. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Right
3: for you. I mean, if think about being that person, you know, you put your stuff in the show, like you expect it to be critiqued to some extent, you know? So this poor person just automatically gets a ribbon.
4: Yeah. That's how I've won every trophy in my life was the other people didn't show up. Yeah. Luckily I have a big family, so they stopped people from showing up. So (laughs) nice.
3: Yeah. Well, these, these people, the, the good thing was we did have permission. And if, uh, if things, you know, if it was just garbage, you know, if it just was not a good effort at all, even within that classification, that we we were given permission to not award a ribbon at all, you know, if it wasn't worthwhile. So, um, but I didn't do that, you know. There, there, the stuff was certainly the people had the guts to put it out there and show what they did. They certainly deserved to uh, to win something. So, yep, it, it was. Um, you know it was interesting have you have you ever really other than in a furniture store where you know the craftsman is probably you know a hundred people in a factory you know mm-hmm.
4: um have you yeah. ever really uh picked apart someone else's work um only my own. Yeah, okay. that's no, no, I can't really say that I have. The closest thing I've gone to, like, a a, a show like that was actually um, my wife when early on in her photography business was asked to go to, like, the uh, state of Michigan, like, high school exhibition type thing. Okay. And so that was, that was, like, the closest thing to it. But then I didn't have a clue. I was just like, I can't believe these little snots are building stuff better than I am, was my reaction. <laughs> but no, I, 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 that's one thing is like, how do you exactly would you do that? I mean, do you look at, like, the finer details or yeah, what exactly I mean, is,
3: For me, it's, you know, and obviously this is not something that I've got down to a science because it was my first time doing it. But uh, I kind of know how to approach it in terms of, you know, because I've entered things in the contest before and I I get an idea of what judges are looking for. Um, But essentially it's like it reminds me of like, I don't know, Iron Chef, you know, or something that you've seen on TV (laughs) with these competition shows where there's originality. Um, you know, uh, technical difficulty and and diff- you know the fi- the finish is another big thing you got to look at. Um, so you kind of have these different categories of of the quality of the work that you're looking at, and you have to take into consideration. And if if we were really getting down to a, sort of breaking it down to that level and having points within each one and each. Uh, Each one has a certain weight, like his originality weighed more than technical uh, difficulty, you know, things like that. So you can get really, really painstakingly uh, detailed in how you rate these things. But we were definitely told to be, you know, to be a little bit more general and uh, sort of just award a first, second, and third within each category as opposed to getting down into the, the nitty gritty of it. But you still have to take those things into consideration. So you look in front of you and you've got five segmented bowls. And they all look amazing, you know, and you have to decide what is it. And this is different from your normal approach, at least my normal approach. When I see other people's work, I want to say, hey, great job. And I really want to focus on the positive just by my nature. And, you know, when you've got five great looking pieces in front of you, you now have to change gears. Now you need to focus on the negative. And the one with the most negative, you know, dings against it is the one that doesn't win. You know, so it's definitely a different mindset. So... You know, you like I said, you're looking at five beautiful segmented turnings, and how do you start to flaw them and, and, and say this one? Okay, this one looks like it's got a couple spots where the person filled with CA glue to cover up a mistake. Uh, this one has a fixed crack. This one's finish isn't as nice as this one, and it was just a really weird experience to to focus so hard on the negative. in in some of these cases Um, other ones you know you're looking at a group and there's a clear standout that this one not only is it beautiful not only is the finish you know gorgeous um, you know, but the technical execution was really good on it as well so you know this is the clear winner and then you have to figure out two and three from there so uh, really interesting experience and and kind of one of those things that makes you look at yourself it makes you look at your own work and say now if I can see these flaws on this person's work that means that I'm I'm required now, sort of in my head, to never let someone else be able to say that about my work. You know, right, so, right. so so what mistakes do you let into your final furniture? What do you, what is permissible? Like, where do we set the line? And in my opinion, if you're if you are observant enough and you know enough to point those out in someone else's work, then there's no excuse for you to leave it in your own
4: work. You know, right. um, oh no, no. I can find excuses to leave it in mind. I do it all the time. <laughs> you know, you show me a picture or something that you want, Bill. You know, hey, yeah, I can, I can do something similar. You know, it's pretty, close, pretty I, close. Yeah. Do you want it that nice? Uh, you're going to want somebody else to do it. <laughs> no, oh, because I'm going to have like the naughtiest wood I can find. It's going to be bowed. <laughs> right. Right. Well, and and that's see, and there's another thing
3: right there that touches on you know at at a certain level, and i I found as you know in my own woodworking growth. You get to a point where it's the the major challenge is not uh, anymore can I build it or can I do that joinery? Um, you take it to the next level, and once you know you can build it, once you know you can easily make that joinery, the real question is now what what pieces of wood do I use um selecting putting a piece of wood away and saying i can't use that just because the grain goes in the wrong direction, you know mm-hmm. and being able to to discern what's good for the project and what isn't and you know how about how about being a perfectionist about the legs on a piece of furniture, making sure all the grain is oriented properly so that when you cut the legs out, they all look the same, all four faces look the same, or it looks like it makes sense for the piece. So, you know, these are the things that you take once once you have a, you know two or three pieces where they're all you know well done, they're all uh, perfectly executed. You have to start looking at things like that, you know, which is being really, really picky. But again, like I said, that's the thing that as a woodworker, you know, even as a hobbyist woodworker, you want to sort of keep pushing yourself to the next level. And just when you think you've got it all down, someone goes, well, wait a minute, look at the grain in those legs. They don't actually, it doesn't complement the way this piece is supposed to look. And you go, ah, crap, you know, now I've got some other scale that I'm being judged upon. That it, it this isn't as good as it could be yet. You know. Right. So, like I said, it was definitely a little bit of an inner growth for me to kind of look at other people and see how many flaws I could point out, and then that okay, well now I've got no excuse to ever have those in my work. You know. So right. it it was it was a lot of fun in that sense. Um, I'm not really going to talk too much about the specifics because I'll I'll put a post up on my website about that. We've got some pictures, but they haven't announced the winners yet, so I don't want to say too much about it.
4: Gotcha, um, yeah. You you don't want to spoil the uh, the potential. Yeah,
3: Yeah, hey, check this out. The uh, president, really nice guy, by the way. Um, Nicole was there, and she was chatting with him the whole time. Well, she tells me that one of, there was a separate box contest going on, and um, one of the... Boxes there apparently was was his, and okay. i I didn't know that, and the three of us, the three judges, were standing around you know describing which ones we liked and which ones we didn't and right as we were i won't say ripping apart, but as we were trying to to justify why one should not get first place or second place, we were pointing out all the flaws on this one particular box, and it was no. and it was his. <laughs> <laughs> and I just felt like no. such a I just felt like a jerk afterwards because I was like, <laughs> man, I I would have just felt like crap if I had But he knew he didn't have to sit around and listen and that's, you know, that's what happens when you have your stuff judged. I mean, we weren't being mean, but it was literally saying Okay, look on the inside here. This should be mitered. It should not be a butt joint. It kinda of clashes with what this you know, what the effect is supposed to be here, blah, blah, blah. So that was uh that was kinda of funny. <laughs> but- yeah.
4: <laughs> that is that's like pretty much like, you know, like standing right next to the person like, God, this is like the Big piece of crap I've ever seen in my life look at that blah blah, blah. you know that's usually what happens to me so yeah,
3: yeah well the good thing was I did pick his as my number one so i I felt uh, I felt better at least you know he felt good about it but even though it was my number one I was still able to point stuff out that uh that could have right. been improved so uh but right. yeah it,
4: it, yeah, you're absolutely right, though, about putting your neck on the line with these things. And that's one thing I think a lot of people, you know, need to understand is that, you know, if you do want to do something like this, be willing to get that critique, mm-hmm. you know, because it's really in my family. It, it's definitely my my wife is notorious for this. I've got to learn to say, you know, not to ask her. So what do you think about this? Right. I should just say, does this look nice? Right. 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 <laughs> Leave it at that because, you know, there is that critique. So somebody else who really knows what they're looking for. You know, there are those times that we definitely want to have that critique to help us, you know, expand it and everything. But I think that's just, that is a really neat insight, though, as, as a judge, what exactly goes through your head. Cause I'm always, I, I'm, I guess maybe I'm just too Mr. Nice guy. And it's just like yeah, one of those, yeah. you, did, you did a really nice job here, Johnny. This is wonderful. Oh my <laughs> God. Oh my God.
3: <laughs>
5: well, the, over,
3: you know, the overwhelming um, thing that I noticed about these that if I could tell, you know, the majority of these people, you got to work on this, would be their finish. Um, it okay. was it was just staggering how many people put two or three coats of varnish on and call it a day. And literally, they're just they're throwing the varnish on, and and you could feel it with your fingers. It's rough. There's you know lots of little either air bubbles or dust nibs, and um and either they don't know better or they don't know how to do it. You know, but okay. it, but it seems it was just you know glaringly obvious to me that this great piece of let's say you know a couple of the intarsia pieces I, I took a look at were just so well executed. I mean, something that I would I would probably pay money for just to own it because it was so gorgeous. But then you run your fingers over it and what I wanted to feel was just this, you know, super smooth transition from one piece to the next. And instead what I felt felt like, you know, a, a 40 grit sandpaper. I mean, it was it oh. was, you know, <laughs> re, you know, not not all in all the spots, but it was bad, you know, and that that it, that was definitely something that I, I would have to ding people on, you know, uh, if you're submitting your stuff to a contest like that. I mean, geez, the finish is is the first thing that someone's going to notice. And that immediately is hard to see past as as someone who's critiquing the piece. Like, It's very difficult to get past that finish.
4: Oh, yeah. I mean, that's just like, you know, an article of clothing on somebody. You know, people always talk about, like, you know, clothing can really define a person the right way. And a finish is, is pretty much like a clothing. It really right. does... You know, it, you can have the most beautiful body when it comes down to it, but you put the wrong thing on it, and it's like, what the? Hell was that person thinking?
3: <laughs> no, I, look, I look pretty pretty good in whatever I wear, Matt. So yeah. I,
4: I'm kind of I, I need to like have it like uh, um, athletic <laughs> cut is the way I like to call athletic it. <laughs> yeah,
3: I just need skinny skinny Italian guy cut. Uh, T shirt T shirt and jeans usually is uh, <laughs> my choice <laughs> my choice
4: of gear. You know? Yeah. Hey, you know I was thinking that that's kind of a good segue. I, I you know one of my New Year's resolutions this year was that I actually want to kind of expand my uh, my my finishing techniques scan oh, okay. my waistline all the time, but I want right. to expand my finishing techniques. <laughs> and I've decided that for a project that I'm, I'm, I'm still trying to finish up. I think I might have mentioned this like you know a few episodes ago, which means that's probably what a couple months ago actually. <laughs> yeah. Um. I uh, actually I'm going to try and use lacquer for the first time. Uh, um. Like a a clear brushing lacquer is what it really is. Oh, okay. But unfortunately, it's been too damn cold out in my finish room, which is the garage, mm-hmm. to be able to do anything. In fact, actually, the I I tried to do a sample board. Uh, a sample piece, and it was, like, it was so viscous that it pretty much was, like, I stuck the brush in, and I swear it was, like, pulling out, like, a lollipop. It was, just, <laughs> it was really, really, really... And I had a, I was assuming it must have been because it was so cold because I had actually left the lacquer out in the cold at the time. Okay. So I, it, it's one of those... You know, I, I wanna do this the right way. And I even went so far as to I read the instructions on the container, which is a first for me. <laughs> and I, <laughs> I got the right brush and everything. So it said you should use a I think like a natural bristle brush and uh, I'm going from, you know, going from there. But I'm thinking it, well, obviously, you, you've you had more experience with lacquer and everything. Is, mm-hmm. is it a wise idea to like maybe like thin the lacquer down? Is lacquer one of those that goes on better thinner or would it be better just kind of the way it is coming out of the can kind of a thing, a little bit thicker? It's, yeah, it's
3: it depends on the lacquer you're using sometimes. And in some cases, it is better to thin. In other cases, thinning, you know, in terms of spraying, sometimes thinning actually can make the problem worse because by adding more thinner... Uh, things are actually going to evaporate a little bit faster, so you don't get the advantage of leveling quite as much. You, you seem to get a little bit more uh, overspray and that sort of white dust on everything uh, by uh-huh. adding by adding too much thinner. Um, but then again, if you add a uh, you know pure thinner and spray that on the piece, sometimes we use that as a technique to level out the surface and even things out and, and get rid of the blushing and things that you might have in there. Um, in terms of what you're using, um, I would guess. Um, are you using a Deft product?
4: Um, no, it would actually be a Minwax. Are you kidding me? Uh, Home Depot, <laughs> okay. second aisle, third shelf up. <laughs>
3: okay, yeah, uh, gotcha.
4: Um, I'm expanding in certain ways, but not necessarily in others. <laughs>
3: right. Well, you know, I'm not even a big fan of 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 Deft in general. I find that there is a huge difference in quality between the lacquers you can get at you know the big the big box stores. Versus what you might get at the paint store. So if you've got a a Frazee or a Sherwin Williams and you got a chance to get a hold of some of their, um, you know, cab acrylic lacquer or or things like that, it's not really a brushing lacquer per se, uh, Mm. but it's really, really good stuff, comparatively speaking. Uh, But anyway, I don't want to get too far ahead of your your question here. Um, First and foremost, not a fan of brushing lacquer. Um, Okay. I mean, brushing lacquer. As I understand it, you look at the can; it'll say "Do not thin," you know, somewhere on it. Usually, they t- I don't know if you saw that anywhere since you since you supposedly read the instructions.
4: I'm looking right now.
3: <laughs> Keep talking. I'll look. Okay. <laughs> but most of the time, they say "Do not thin," and a lot of products actually say "Do not thin." And you know, to my understanding, it has to do with the uh, the VOC count, the volatile uh, organic compounds. There's a certain percentage of of that material in there, and by adding more thinner, you're actually increasing that beyond the point that the manufacturer's stated use is supposed to cover. So I think they're just covering their butts in general by by saying don't thin this product because you're going to take it beyond what we our restrictions say. You know this product is supposed to be within this certain number. That doesn't mean that the stuff is gonna blow up. It doesn't mean that it's not going to work. In fact, in a lot of cases, it's gonna work better when it's thinned a little bit. Um, So unfortunately, that is one of those cases where I generally just ignore the instructions. So if you do want to thin, I I would guess with that formulation, even though it is a brushing formulation, you probably could thin a little bit to make it more workable. But it will also, keep in mind, it will dry faster now because it's less actual lacquer and more thinner and then now it's going to flash off a lot quicker. Okay, gotcha. Um, so, that being said, I have never, I've never brushed lacquer. It does not strike me as one of those things that wants to be brushed. Uh, you know, things like, um, you know, shellac is a little bit better, but I find shellac to be very similar. These fast drying, fast evaporating finishes, they they just, they they look at me and they go, Mark, you do not want to brush me and I will will obey I mean because I I don't know when you brush you have a tendency to overwork a little bit but when you're working with a fast evaporating finish you need to move fast and you need to be absolutely sure about your technique as you go back and forth make each stroke count so that you don't ever have to go back and do the stroke prior to Um, you know so those things tend to lend really well to spraying because you can move fast you can cover a large area you can spray a nice, even, thin film and then just move on to the next area, and, and it just the whole experience is a lot better. So, um, okay. now I know you only have that critter, right? Is that the only spray? Yeah, the,
4: yeah the little critter. I well, I went and bought some new mason jars for it in okay. the attempt it. <laughs> I was gonna give go. it another shot or something, yeah, but yeah, because you know that kind of explains a little bit then because I like I said, I tried a sample piece and I did put it on there, and that was one thing I did notice was that it was like. Like I said, I I was assuming that it was because it was so cold out that it, like, maybe, you know, the viscosity got a little bit thicker or something as Mm -hmm. it was, you know, whatever was in it. But it it doesn't really make any sense to me that it would do that, but then again, it's my first attempt with it. But I did notice that as I brushed it on, you know, I tried to keep it to one small area, but and it was just like that. It was like as soon as I put it on, suddenly it was like – it was almost tacky immediately.
3: Yeah, And it didn't
4: want to brush out the right way, so that's when I'm like, maybe if I thin it down. Yeah, well – and all bets
3: are off while it's cold. You know, you don't want to do this stuff while it's cold. It's just not going to dry properly and you know, it may never really cure properly and this, the finish overall is just going to suffer for it. So, you know, once the temperature get back, gets back up, then you can kind of start doing these experiments and and seeing how the stuff is supposed to uh to behave. Um, you know, if if you've got a small piece, you know, you're doing um uh, maybe a little jewelry box or something like that, something on a small scale. You could probably get away with the brushing without much problem because you think about you don't have much territory to cover, Uh, but if you're trying to do a larger piece of furniture and you're trying to brush on the lacquer, I just don't envy that job at all for anybody. Um, You know, lacquer, this may not be great advice. It may just be my opinion, so take that for what it's worth. I think lacquer, honestly, is just best left alone until you're ready to spray it.
4: Right. You know. So you're thinking for a king-size headboard, that might be a little tough. <laughs> t- <laughs> good, luck, good
3: luck with that, Matt.
4: <laughs> yeah, that okay, might be Maybe I'll, I'll reevaluate this one because that's exactly what I'm doing. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
3: yeah, definitely. And, and and like I said, you know, you can thin it a little bit, but the more you thin it, you're starting to get into a consistency that's good for spraying. Um, you know, another reason why it's brushing lacquer is back to that VOC content. You know, um, when, you, when you're when you actually spraying it, you're putting more of it in the air. You're atomizing it, and it's becoming part of the air immediately, uh, whereas okay. brushing tends to keep it a little bit more uh, concentrated and less of it, you know, should really be becoming airborne. Um, you know, that, that brings up another point. Speaking of spraying, um, I've been in contact with, and it's something, again, I'll go into more detail on as I develop the story here. I've uh, been in contact a lot with Charles Neal lately and okay. he is a big fan of the Erlex system and I think Woodcraft carries it and does Rockler carry one of those do you do you know what I'm even talking about
4: Erlex Erlex it's a little they, they, spray some, unit Uh I think they do for yeah. some reason that's, that's familiar I remember looking around over there at stuff like that Okay well I know at
3: Woodcraft if you go there they definitely have it it's E A R L E X and it's a little um, a little HVLP spray unit that and you know I'm guilty of it myself. I think it's often overlooked. You know, uh, most people who get into tur- turbine sprayers like myself uh, usually immediately think that in order to to spray all this stuff, you're going to need a three stage turbine that's going to cost seven, eight, nine hundred dollars, and uh, that's the kind of investment you need to make to spray. And and unfortunately, it's like spraying is you know I keep referring to it as kind of a rich man sport. You know, because who can afford to drop all that money just on something for finishing when, when we know we can technically just go get a brush or a rag and wipe on a finish? So it tends to be hard to justify. And this Erlec system, uh, Charles absolutely swears by. He thinks it's fantastic. And um, you know, I wound up getting one, so I'm gonna I'm gonna play around with it and see what I think. And I would love for for nothing more than to be able to recommend to people a fairly priced, inexpensive. Um, spray system, HVLP spray system that works good and will do exactly what they want it to do but is not going to cost, I mean, in fact, it's a
0: so start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today.
3: Less than half the price of most of the, the three-stage turbines that are on the market.
4: Oh, wow. Yeah, definitely. I'm going to keep an ear out for that then. I'll, I'll try and get a hold of you on there. When you, find, when you find out more, let me know. Oh, wait. Oh yeah, and everybody else too. Yeah, there you go. You're <laughs> gonna, are you
3: going to keep an earlex out, Matt?
4: Oh, uh, I'm going to that's good. Here less now. <laughs> the, ear, the earlex
3: people are going to love that one. Um, <laughs> we <We'll> hope. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I, I got to get my hands on it and play with it, but it just came in yesterday. So I'm excited okay. and um, I'm hopefully going to be excited for everyone else if I can give a, a really good positive review on that.
4: Yeah, definitely. In fact, I'm writing a note for myself right now to go and check it out after the show. So cool. Yeah, I
3: think I saw it on at Woodcraft for like 324 bucks.
4: You know, that's not too bad at all, then, for you a know. you know a spray system, and especially if it does work that way. I might actually uh, set that little critter aside and <laughs> maybe give it yeah. a looks. <laughs> totally,
3: totally. All right, you know so what? We- I think we could probably jump into uh, the voicemails, and okay, let's it. Sure. we've we've got quite a few. And uh, let's—I uh, don't have their names down, but let's let's go into the little potpourri of audio goodness and see what we've got here.
4: Okay, let's do it. Hey, guys. Great show.
5: This question's for Mark because you maintain the website. When I'm viewing the Wood Talk Online website, under the Wood Talk Online Let's Talk shop logo, there's a big white box that looks to be some sort of control that's not working. Is it just my computer, or is there a problem viewing that site on Internet Explorer? Because I would think you're a Mac guy, and I wish I were a Mac guy, but unfortunately... I can't be a Mac guy for business reasons. But goodness gracious is it just this silly old PC Internet Explorer thing? I feel like the guy on
4: those Mac PC commercials. Great job, guys. <laughs> yeah. So, Mark, does that make you the Mac daddy? I am that- indeed
3: the Mac daddy, the one and only. <laughs> um yeah, you know, I wanted to play this voicemail just because a lot of what you and I do really is on the cusp of like new technology for the web and A lot of times that's, you know, not the greatest place to be because not everybody has all the right, you know, things downloaded and uh, accessories for their browser and plugins that make all this stuff possible. Now, yeah, so, so one of those things, that's a little flash player, okay, and the idea is that little white box actually contains a player that has all of our episodes from episode one through the current one. And it will always be updated automatically through the RSS feed, and lives on that page for that reason. So yes, there is something there that you should be seeing, and that's the archive. So yep. if you are not, it tells me that I don't I don't think he has the most recent uh, Flash installed. So make sure you download Flash. Make sure everything is completely updated. Um, it's not necessarily an Internet Explorer thing per se, or excuse me, it's not he, he, uh, anymore. It's really not Mac pc at all it's you know firefox versus internet explorer versus opera versus safari it's about the browser and the browsers tend to act very similar regardless on what you know what uh, machine and, and what uh operating system the person is using so uh, i went right. into the shop my internet explorer um shows it with no problem i i had you check it matt and i think you said yours shows up with no problem um, yep. It just means that everything is up to date in our browser and it's able to interpret that information properly. So just just make sure all that crap is updated and uh, hopefully that will work out for you. If it doesn't, email me and I will try to help you specifically uh, with that issue. And if you really want to solve a lot of problems in your life, just learn to use Firefox.
4: There you go. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. Okay. And yeah.
3: <laughs> definitely would be a smart thing to do. Yeah, cuz um, I think the
4: Internet Explorer I have in my office uh, is like really old. It's like older than you know, dirt basically and it and it works. So yeah, it has to be the Flash player that's yeah. that's got to be it. And I know, you know, some
3: some not not to get on the soapbox, but you can use a Mac to do a lot of Windows things. And I'm, that's mm-hmm. that's all I'm going to say about that. Okay, we'll leave it that there. <laughs> <laughs> uh so we could jump into the next voicemail real quick here.
5: Yeah. Uh man Mark, uh, great show. Um I have a question this is ken fayette from california i have a question on pvc for running airlines in your wood shop uh i know that i uh, i ran half inch schedule 40 in my old workshop stayed up for at least a decade i just wondered if i just got lucky on maybe the the pipe being a good quality or the glue from it coming apart i know that you know Plastic toys don't last forever. I just wondered if I just got lucky, and uh, I'd like to hear your take on this. Thank you very much.
4: Keep up the good work.
3: Okay, so at first I, w- I thought he was talking about dust collection.
4: Uh, yeah, that's what I was just thinking.
3: Yeah, and then I realized he said half-inch, so I'm sure he's not getting a whole lot of, out of the table saw with half-inch pipe. <laughs>
4: no, yeah, yeah. now that you make a – yeah, no, no, no. I, I barely see – that would get clogged up so fast in my shop I'd be having like a – do it all the time (laughs) yeah 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 maybe um he's talking about compressed air
3: oh okay okay so uh, basically plumbing the the shop for compressed air using half inch schedule 40 pvc uh i can't say for sure i don't know what the pressure rating is on that stuff and 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 you know what what concerns there are as far as just exploding but Mm -hmm. here here's my thought i think either you know like the black um the black pipe, that steel pipe, actually what we make are clamps out of a lot of times for um, long bar clamps, mm-hmm. and copper are two great options. I, I think the um, the other, the, the black pipe is probably best because it's all twist fittings, it's not, you know, you don't have to do any soldering or any crazy plumbing action like that. Um, right. It's a little bit more expensive, obviously, but here, here's my concern with the PVC. If you do use PVC, even if it can hold that pressure, there are things that we use in the shop frequently that could easily puncture PVC Mm -hmm. and think about when (laughs) yeah yeah so now you've got a pressurized line and yeah maybe it's stable if it's left alone but what if you gouge it with a chisel or the corner of a board uh, or you just crush it now you've got something that's just going to go off like a bomb, you know. So you've yeah. got, you're going to have plastic shrapnel all over the shop, which is probably not a good thing. So, um, although I, I, you know, I, I would probably say, yeah, maybe you did get a little bit lucky that you've had ten years with no no problems. You could go another ten years with no problems, but it does sound like it's a it's a little bit too much of a risk to do again if if you have the option to change it out. Um, like I said, it'll be more expensive, but I think just for general safety reasons, it's probably a smart thing to swap out.
4: Yeah, oh I, yeah, I totally agree. That, that was the first thing that I thought of was just I know in my shop that, you know, uh, easily I could see myself somehow compromising, you know, mm-hmm. just a little portion of it and then all hell breaking loose. It looked like something like with my plumbing accidents that have happened. <laughs> it would yeah. just because of course it would the air, but <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. They um
3: go to findwoodworking.com and I don't I apologize for not knowing if this is a subscription article or not. I believe it probably is because it's a downloadable PDF. Uh, download plumbing, a shop for air, and just do a search on um, compressed air shop or compressed air plumbing or something. It'll bring it up. And it they have a really good two-page article, I think, on uh, on the process and advice for how to construct the joints and whatnot. So um, definitely check that out if you get a chance.
4: Yeah, def- uh, I think I know exactly which article you're talking about. So. Yeah, it yeah was, um,
3: I think it was last year they put that one out. It was pretty good. I, I saved it just because I knew one day I would probably need it. And I haven't needed it yet, but, uh, well, I guess I needed it today.
4: Yeah, but one day it'll return. One day.
3: <laughs> okay, another voicemail. This is this is a great voicemail day. It's wonderful. Here we go.
4: Yep.
5: Guys, what's up? It's Bob from California talking in the car. Behind. And um, <laughs> safely, however, that's all we do out here, drive and talk on the phone. Anyways, I um, – Watched the uh, jointing video of Heinrich and uh, noticed that uh, he kept his little chop, uh, factory blade guard on there. Of course, I've thrown mine in the trash and uh, I've been working with that one. But uh, he sufficiently scared me. If a stud like Heinrich is... Uh, or Heinrich. the a stud like Heinrich is... Using his factor-made blade guard, then I uh, need one. So, considering an aftermarket blade guard, what are your thoughts? Leaning towards the Exactor. however, uh, also considering the Excalibur. Any thoughts on that? Thanks.
3: Well, that's uh, that's an interesting question. It's also interesting that he called uh, Hendrick a stud. <laughs> yeah, yes, I'm sure Hendrick will He's enjoy a- that.
4: Yes, absolutely. I, I think it'll be a big kick, big kick out of it. I, I get a big kick out of it when people call me a stud. Yeah, of course. Uh, Who never, doesn't? Never happened. No. <laughs> um, <laughs> Can you get my wife to do it? <laughs> yeah.
3: You go, please, honey, please. <laughs> please
1: um,
3: tonight? Yeah. Uh, so do, do you have a uh, guard? I know you have an older saw, right? So right. I'm guessing yeah, that and, you don't?
4: No. Yeah. My grandfather, apparently, uh, the macho man that he was, threw that thing away. And so I have been working guard free. Uh, since day one, also explains why he pretty much almost lost his thumb uh, the one time. Wow! So it, it it really is it's it's a matter of um, constantly paying attention, really knowing where you know where, where things are located. Sure. Um, that's also where my little mantra of fingers and thumbs don't be dumb comes in. I say it over and over <laughs> while I'm cutting, and my family thinks I'm talking to myself, which I am actually. There you go. Uh, but yeah, it's you know I have looked at aftermarket systems myself. Um, in fact, actually, the the ones that he mentioned, unfortunately, with the, the the table saw that I have, none of them really really work. I would really have to rig it up more than I really want to. It's not worth the money. Um, but there is there's a little um, a, 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 a screw in the back that has a little uh, bolt that attaches that you can tell that's where the safety guard originally was. And at one point, I had snagged one from um, an old benchtop table saw huh. that was uh, getting thrown out, and it actually fit in there. I don't know what happened; it got lost in the move. I was a little bummed by it. Okay, but you know, but they work. But I, I know a lot of people are, are, you know, oh, you don't need this. This is perfectly fine. The one thing that I missed the most about not having mine was not so much the actual guard itself, but the uh, the splitter and then the anti kickback. Yeah, uh, that's the one thing I miss the absolute most. That's uh, you know, if I could just have that, just a riving knife or just you know just the anti kick uh, paws or whatever they're called, right? I, I would. That's what exactly what I would snag. I think those are very very crucial.
3: Well, yeah, you're, there's really two issues here, right? You've got the blade guard and then you've got a splitter. So, um, uh, me personally, I would, I get very, very nervous when I'm working on a table saw that doesn't have a splitter. I guess I've just kind of, I see it as a, a thing that is automatically going to offer a certain degree of much needed protection so that when it's not there, I just say that there are things that can happen as I'm pushing this piece of wood through that are completely out of my control and if that does happen, and the splitter's not there, I'm, you know, going to be a victim of a, a nice kickback, and uh, that's not something I look forward to. So, the splitter is something that I really value incredibly highly as far as a safety feature on any table saw. Now, the a lot of times, obviously, those come together in uh, in, in a lot of the, uh, the the ones that come with the saw typically are, are combined: the splitter and the guard usually a little plastic uh, guard that sits on top of it. So when they're you know together, a lot of times, it's just less convenient for people or they're hard to get on and off. So because it's a pain in the butt to deal with, they take them off, they put them on the side, and they don't even think about it again uh, and never wind up having the benefit of either a guard or a splitter. Um, you know, But a lot of times you get these situations where you either have an aftermarket splitter and then you have the option for an aftermarket guard and they, they, they sort of become two separate entities at that point. Mm-hmm. And right. ho- hopefully, hopefully he's got a splitter on his table saw. He didn't really specify um, right. if, if yeah. he, you know if, if he took off the manufacturer's one and never put another one on there, then he's got nothing right now. So I would rather see somebody you know obviously use the manufacturer's before using nothing at all. Um, right. But you know, and I get this question a lot because I don't have a blade guard on my saw. I just have a splitter, and I think that's a justifiable argument uh you know there is a justifiable argument to that for a particular person who thinks that that's the way to go i don't think there's anything wrong with that per se but if you if if hendrix sufficiently scared him to get one then i get that's not necessarily a terrible thing to have one but i actually have found that my uh my aftermarket blade guard really causes me problems it gets it tends to get in the way it's a little bit too wide, it covers too, I I understand the idea is to give you a good safety zone where you can't contact the blade, but sometimes I do need to get in there with a push stick or with a small workpiece. and even when it, you know, when I'm three or four inches away, the fence is set at like three or four inches, I still have problems where my hand winds up, you know, easily hitting the mechanism of the, the blade guard system. And it's just it's not to me that then becomes less safe because I'm bumping into something or I'm I'm holding my uh, push stick at a weird angle because I'm trying to negotiate around this this thing that's in my way so to me that all of a sudden you know demoted my blade guard from a safety device to something that was just getting in the way and when when I moved my table saw I took it off and uh, it has never gone back on Um, that's just the choice that I've made and I feel that it's perfectly safe now if you're if you're the type of person who frequently finds your fingers three or four inches you know near the blade then that may be something you want on there if you're not uh, not attentive enough but I don't generally do not let my hands go you know I I see I have a red um, zero clearance insert and that is like what I consider to be my you know very last resort danger zone that marks the, the, the boundaries of where my my digits should ever be near and as, right. long as, yeah. as long as I stay outside of there, I feel fairly comfortable that I'm competent enough to keep my hands from just randomly flying into the blade. So, right. uh, you know, so that that's the kind of thing I, I would recommend. First and foremost, though, get a splitter on that table. You know, that that's the first thing I think for the most immediate um, bang for your buck safety is to get that splitter. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I think if they design – the weird thing is the manufacturer's ones are – a little bit thinner they hug the blade a little bit more it seems like and the aftermarket ones a lot of times they collect dust as well so they're usually maybe two to three inches in width take up a lot more real estate and give the blade a little bit more of a, a pocket to hang out in that that protects your hands from getting to it and I, I actually don't like that I would rather have the manufacturer's style that hugs the blade so that I can maneuver safely around the blade with my push sticks and whatnot you know so hopefully i don't know maybe someday i'll I'll get a a better saw that has you know like a (laughs) like a pm 2000 or something that has the riving knife and has a nice uh tight uh, uh blade guard that doesn't really get in the way so much
4: Right, you know, I've had that same exact experience that you described of you trying to get your hand in there, trying to get the push stick. And I actually, I, I think you, you pretty much nailed it, you know, right right on the head with the. I actually become less safe when those are there because I can't get that pressure uh, straight down on it. Yeah. Like I said, I, I had the one that was from the other one from the other saw and then lost it in, in, in moving and everything. But that's the one thing I, I hate. I mean, what I ended up doing a lot of times is when I was doing a crosscut, just so I could see where it was actually lining up and everything on the blade, ended up flipping that thing up out of the way so I at least had the splitter Right. And then you know, inevitably, I'd bump the table. That thing would drop down. All hell would break loose. You know, <laughs> it just, you know and then the next thing, you know, my fingers are getting near there. But that was always my main concern. Anytime I was ripping was trying to get that push stick in there so I could hold it down the right way. Yeah, it would yeah. be nice to have a smaller one. And like you said, if you just had a splitter, something as simple as just taking a, a, a piece of metal that's thin enough and actually, you know, cutting a hole in mine, I could easily just do something like that. Just have it in the back of the blade so that when I'm pushing through and I'm ripping cuz I've had stock do that point you know where it kind of re uh, uh, decides that it's going to reclamp itself on the back side of the blade right <laughs> yeah when- brain kind of pulls it that way and that's just like one of the. as soon as i see that happening i'm like you know kicking my my off button with my knee because it's freaking me out at that point <laughs> you know because it's just i know what's going to happen and i'm going to be the projectile, you know in front of the projectile when it comes flying back at me <laughs> yeah well you you brought up another point that i didn't even think about um but that is a major issue is the
3: visibility issue um now i've been told whenever i bring this up you know a lot of times people say well you really shouldn't be looking at the blade anyway you should really be looking at where the the workpiece contacts the fence. And, you know, the way that I see it, pushing wood through a cutting tool is a lot like driving. You're When you drive, you're, you're never told to just watch the road. You're never told right. to just watch the car in front of you. You're told to scan the road. When you're driving, your eyes should never stop scanning the road. Left, right, forward, back, rear view mirror. I mean, you kind of are always... Observant of everything around you and when I push something through the table saw I'm exactly the same way I'm looking not just at the fence But I'm looking at where the wood contacts the blade where the blade gets to the splitter and I'm watching this whole you know whole thing play out to decide what's going on, is this normal? Is there something abnormal going on? Is is the wood lifting? Do I need to apply pressure in a different place to stop it from flying back at me? There's a lot of things that I need to see, and in a lot of cases, those big monster, you know, like you mentioned the Excalibur, for example, those big monster um, blade guards. Yes, they're clear, but who can really see through plastic and and see very well, especially after a few. Uh, weeks of use and and wood dust you can't really see through it that well so i do find that the lack of visibility makes me less confident with my cuts you know and if i'm not confident then that is probably the worst thing that that will work against my my personal safety in the shop so definitely something to think about
4: Yep, absolutely. Yeah. And even with, you know, ripping and stuff, I I too, for the very same reasons, have lifted that, that up and kind of moved it out of the way just so I had at least just the splitter. I can't believe that people would say only to push it again to pay attention to where it is touching the fence because what if you got that fence over so you're trying to take like a one-inch cut? To me, that's way too dangerous. I – I want to know where that blade is and where I'm not is my my main <laughs> concern. That's right. that's the biggest thing that I'm always watching. I'm I'm the same way. I'm watching like simultaneously just you know blade uh fence uh piece at the end you know and everything else. It's I mean, it's just like when I was a mountain biker. It's like one of those, you know, I'm not watching the land right in front of my tire. I'm watching, you know, a couple feet up and then coming back because I want to know if there's something in the trail before I hit it because I did enough endos without having something in the trail. Yeah. <laughs> I don't need you know, something like that. But, yeah, that, <laughs> wow, that's, that's really weird. I, I have a hard time imagining somebody telling you not to pay attention to the blade. <laughs> yeah, it's,
3: it's kind of one of those things that the, the, real, the real danger zone is not what the blade is doing, but once you see your work come off of the fence – that's an indication of danger because that means obviously uh, uh, a plus b equals c. If you're you know if you're if you're coming away from the fence, you know the effect of that is going to be a kickback. So that's kind of the idea is don't stare at the right. blade. You know if you're gonna if you're going fixate on anything, fixate on the fence. But anyway, the, the whole point for me was just don't fixate on anything. you you should be looking at everything.
4: Um, like in the big picture, people.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah. And the other thing is to keep your awareness around you. You know, if somebody's walking up, you know, on your left hand side, on your peripheral, you know, you don't you don't necessarily see them because you're so, you know, uh, focused directly on what you're doing right there. That can be a little bit dangerous too. So you know, it, it's just keep your wits about you. It's just kind of a common sense thing. But a lot of times, you know, sometimes we just get way too focused on, on a, you know the little details of what we're looking at, but good right. good good information to think about because i think it's it's not right for everybody but by default i guess you know i think people should have this stuff on there because a lot of times taking the guard off means taking the splitter off too and that's yep. a no no as far as i'm right. concerned so right well i think what we should probably do if we want to try and get a, another show out early this week, let's, um, let's call it a day here. And next time we can answer some more voicemails and some emails as well. And, uh, okay. I mean, people will have their fill of, uh, of Mark and Matt big time.
4: Yeah, absolutely. We really appreciate everything that we've been getting from everybody. If you've got comments, questions, suggestions, feedback, I'm sure we've heard something today that you'd love to send us some feedback in. You know, drop us a line at woodtalkonline at gmail.com or call us in on the, our phone line, which is 623-242-2450. You know what? We love voicemails because Matt doesn't screw up things when we're reading them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, voicemails so are fun. It's a whole adds a nice dimension to the show. Absolutely. I really feel like the person's actually in the room with us talking. Of course, it would be nice if they would because we could really pick on some of them. But um... of course, (laughs) course. definitely get back with us. Sweet, Mark.
3: All right. Well, then you have a good one. And everybody who is listening, we appreciate it. And thank you for your support.
4: Absolutely. Keep those stuff coming in. All right. Take care. See ya.
2: Hey, Matt, Mark. Uh, This is Chris calling. I've called before with questions. I just finished listening to your uh episode number 28 and uh though i'm sure other people have contacted you already about this i wanted to just chime in about the guy who had a question about joiners parallelogram versus standard i think uh you know as you mentioned the one of the keys is their they hold their adjustments they hold their uh their 90 degrees or or whatever their settings are um a little bit better on the parallelogram but i think there's another key point in that uh with a joiner, your your infeed and outfeed tables need to be coplanar, planar um, so they, they need to be parallel to each other regardless of, you know, what your, your cutting depth is, um, and the standard joiners ride in dovetailed ways and are fastened down with jib screws, and over time, you can get sag in either the infeed or the outfeed table, and If it gets bad enough, you have to start using shims in a dovetail ways, and um, it can get kind of difficult to tune back in. Whereas the parallelogram, I think, you know, one of the key selling points is that the way they're designed, the tables are designed to stay parallel um, through different adjustments of of cutting depth and so forth and so on. So the way they are adjusted, um, the, the design of the dryer, keeps everything co-planar and in parallel I, I think that's probably you know one of the major selling points um, having a standard trainer myself and, and having the outbeat table sag um, it's a big pain in the butt so um, I think uh, when I go to upgrade uh, I'll be looking proud uh, just wanted to chime in with that hope hope it helps bye bye